morning, everyone. Our sermon text uh, this morning comes from the book of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 14, verses 12 to 25. You can find this on page three of your bulletin. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, It'll come down after we finish reading it, so uh, we can always refer back to page three. All right. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Excuse me. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, Teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And it will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one of you who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. All right. Well, I'd like to extend another warm welcome to all of our students from uh, Pittsburgh, right? There are more of you uh, other than Carnegie Mellon students, right? You got, uh, what, Pittsburgh University. Is that Pitt? I don't know. Other schools. I'm sorry if I missed all the schools, but another warm welcome. It's a really cool city, Pittsburgh. I, uh, it's not what you would expect from growing up in the United States and uh, reading in your history classes about the steel mills and the smog and the pollution. And you know, it's actually a really beautiful city. I've been uh, there a couple times, uh, drove over there, uh, once alone and once with a number of friends where we took uh, two cars. And I think you know, long travels, like a long drive or road trip. Pittsburgh's not too far out, but it's far enough. I find that long road trips like that, the presence of another passenger or even another car, a car convoy, makes the drive and journey a little easier, right? Now, there's something encouraging about the presence of a friend as you face a challenge. Uh, we can think, many of you here are parents, Uh, You support your children at their sports games or soccer games, baseball games, and offer an encouraging presence on the sideline and ready to offer consolation if things get heated. more somber example might be the presence of a family member uh, next to someone who is sick in the hospital. Presence of a loved one can always be comforting in times of difficulty. The same holds true as we think about our Christian faith and as we endure here and live in this broken world. 
as we face increasing opposition to the gospel and to the church, where do we seek comfort and encouragement? What presence do we have for hope for tomorrow? It's my hope that through our time in Mark chapter 14, we're going to see that God in his great love for us strengthens us, carries us along through a close, personal, intimate relationship and presence offered by Jesus himself as we endure in this broken and fallen age. So as we look at our text this morning, we see that following Judas approaching the chief priest to put in plan a a plan to betray Jesus, Mark 14, 12 tells us that it was the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Uh, To understand this feast of unleavened bread and its concluding Passover meal, we're going to actually have to think back about 1,400 years from Uh, the time here in uh, the book of Mark and to the book of Exodus. Uh, I think a few years ago, our church actually did a series on the book of Exodus, so this might be fresh in your minds, but if not, we can uh, review it uh, quickly. During the feast and Passover meal that the people in Mark were celebrating, uh, they used that opportunity to celebrate the great Exodus event recorded in the book of Exodus where God has delivered Israel from Egypt out of the house of bondage and slavery and established the Israelites as his people. And uh, we remember that the early days of the Israelites in Egypt weren't so bad. Remember Joseph, who gained a good amount of respect and political standing uh, with Pharaoh? Exodus 1 tells us that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So this new pharaoh, he, uh, he didn't care much for the Israelites. Right? He thought they were a bit much, and so decided to make their lives bitter by putting them to hard work and work as slaves. And if we think back on the Old Testament and on the promises that God gave to Abraham, uh, Israel's situation is the exact opposite of what we would have expected to find the people of God. Right? The promise was that God's people would be a great nation, blessed by God. That would be a blessing to the world. But here were God's people living in a foreign land, as slaves amongst a people who served a number of foreign gods. And so God has to save his people and sends Moses to Pharaoh, where Moses and Pharaoh have this back and forth, right? Moses delivers this message, let my people go. This is what God has said. Pharaoh responds poorly. God then sends a plague to warn Pharaoh, and this goes back and forth until the Lord decides to send the very worst plague, where every firstborn in Egypt would die. And to prevent that plague, God would uh, actually save his people if he saw a mark on the post of their home. And this mark was the blood of the sacrificed lamb that symbolized that a death had been taken place in this house and judgment can now pass. And after this, God demonstrates the most spectacular displays of redemption by bringing his people through the Red Sea and swallowing up Pharaoh and his army. And from then on, every year, God's people would take the time to celebrate this feast and the Passover to remember God's faithfulness to them in delivering them from Egypt. This is where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 14. 
uh, first day of the unleavened bread where the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And as Jesus' disciples are preparing for this meal, they ask Jesus, where should we do this? How should we proceed? And verse 13, we see Jesus giving some very odd and detailed instructions. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you there. And after they find this man and follow him home, uh, they were to tell him, the teacher says, where is my guest room where uh, we may eat the Passover with my disciples? The man would show them to a room, and uh, while this quest to find a Passover, uh, a place to celebrate the Passover might seem odd, Jesus is actually doing this very intentionally in order to show that he's in control here, that everything that's going to happen, he is uniquely in control, right? Uh, Because this situation is uncommon. In those days, it would be weird or odd the very least, to go into the street to find a man carrying a jar of water, as in those days, women normally carried out this responsibility. So it would seem unlikely for his disciples to successfully take to the streets, find this man carrying water, follow him home, recite a prepared script for him, and have a room ready for Jesus and his disciples for the Passover. And yet, that's what we find right here in verse 16. Exactly to the T in the way that Jesus had described it to them. Mark includes this here again, like I said, to show that Jesus is sovereign. He is in control over everything that's going to happen. He's not just aware that Judas is going to come and betray him and that he would die on the cross at the hands of his own people. He wasn't just aware that that was going to happen, but it was his doing. He is in control. This would not be an accident where his disciples followed the wrong guy and he died and they said, oh man, what are we going to do? I guess we can write these gospels to you know, make it seem better than it actually was. No, that's not the case. Jesus here is showing that everything that is happening, him coming to Jerusalem, his betrayal, his eventual death, is because he has actually orchestrated it in this way. The importance of this is going to be clear as we continue to look at uh, this very odd Passover meal, what we'll find. Growing up in New York City, I had many friends who were Jewish. And so uh, it was a blast. You grew up, you went to uh, a lot of bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs. Awesome. You know, some of the best parties I've I've been to since, you know, I was was 13. That was 17 years ago. It was so much fun. And uh, every year I knew when the Passover was coming up, not because I was Jewish when I was younger, uh, but all my friends, I would know every year because they would start complaining. And you would understand, as an eight-year-old, uh, the Passover might be boring. And I had no idea. I said, what do you, what's wrong with this, this dinner? It seems pretty cool. You get to eat all this good food. And I said, well, you don't get it. It's so long. The meal is so long. We have to, we can't, before we even eat, we have to wait and we have to talk about the meal, and we have to dissect every single element. And if you didn't know, I mean, the Passover meal is quite long. Uh, I don't think it's a terrible thing that uh, my friends were making it out to be as we were kids. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, but it can be long because what happens during this meal is that every single element of the meal is inspected. It's discussed down to the herbs that were used, right? The bitter herbs which were included to remind the Jewish people of the bitterness of slavery that they experienced 
at the hand of Egypt. So as Jesus and his disciples are now beginning this Passover meal, you would expect the conversation to go uh, towards one of these things, right? The bitter herbs, the lamb, uh, the fruits, you know, what are we going to talk about? Yet we find in verse 18, Mark tells us that as they are reclining at the table, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Huh? What's going on here, Jesus? Right? We're not going to talk about the exodus, the herbs, the lambs, what's going on? Why are we talking about betrayal? Very odd thing to do to bring up. and like Almost a mood killer, right? It's like you go to you know, Thanksgiving and uh, you, know, you all sit down and your aunt looks at you guys all and says, one of you is going to break my dishes. I says, man, can we, you know, <laughs> can we eat the meal first before, you know, we talk about sad stuff or, you know, someone's going to throw up tonight. So, you know, what are we doing here? By foretelling his betrayal, Jesus is actually giving further meaning to the Passover meal. Notice in our text, where is there a mention of a Passover lamb? Only once, and it's only in the description to set the scene of this was the day when the lamb was sacrificed. But as Jesus looks ahead, and he foretells Judas' betrayal that would lead to his own death, he, shows, he does this to show them that this Passover meal is going to be different, that he himself would be the lamb, that through his death, Jesus would be the one to fulfill all that the Passover meals in years past had looked forward to. Just as a lamb served as a sacrifice that would provide the blood for the mark that would allow God's judgment to pass through for God's people to be safe in their home, as God's fury and rage passed through Egypt, Jesus' blood is the mark that we all need through faith to repair our relationship with the Lord, to make up for our many wrongdoings against him. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter how good we may think we are, all of us, Scripture makes clear, has fallen short of the glory of God because of the many sins that we have committed against him in word, action, and thought. While the Passover meal celebrated this great exodus event, where the people would look back on God's faithfulness. They also celebrated it every year and looked forward to the time when God would one day come again, once for all redeem his people, not from slavery from Egypt, but instead from sin and death and everything that's wrong in this world. Every year the Israelites would not only look back, but also eagerly look forward to that day when their Savior would come. And here is Jesus on the night where the Passover lamb was supposed to be sacrificed, telling his disciples that they're in the midst of the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God himself, the one who everyone from the time of the garden looked forward to, an eager expectation. And when we think about the Exodus event, it's a beautiful illustration of our own need for a Savior. In Exodus, the Israelites find themselves in the worst possible situation, right? In slavery, under oppressors. The 
Lord needed to rescue them and send a mediator in Moses to provide his people and lead them through to a triumphant victory over Egypt. And in the very same way, Exodus is a mirror for our own lives and our need for a sinner, a savior, as we are sinners, lost in our sins, slaves to it with no hope of rescuing ourselves from it. We needed God to save us, to not only send any mediator, but by sending Jesus Christ, his son, the God-man himself, fully divine and fully human to secure victory over sin and death as our Passover lamb. Our text this morning even shows us the disciples' own awareness of their need for a savior. Look at how they respond. Verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? As I was preparing this sermon, I, I thought, I said, well, if I was sitting at this table, how would I respond to this, right? Sitting, dinner, Jesus says, well, you know, one of you is going to betray me. One of you who's sitting right here. One of you who's dipping his bread into the dish with me. If it were me, I'd say, which dish, Jesus? <laughs> is, it, is it this dish? I didn't dip my bread in this dish. I only touched that one. You know, is it, which one are you talking about? Because it's not going to be me. Right? Far be it from me to be the one that's going to betray you. But here we find that as the disciples hear that one of them would betray them, uh, Jesus. It took a deep, hard look at their own lives. And each and every one of them came to the sad conclusion that it could be me. Even though I've spent so many years with this Jesus whom I love, if I were to be really honest with myself, it could be me. And one after another, they ask, is it I? Because I am capable of betraying my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And they became sorrowful. Here we see the disciples anguish and struggle as they are all acutely aware of how sinful they are and could be. And now we see Jesus taking ownership over this meal and showing them that he is the significance of this meal, the meaning of Passover. He is identifying himself with this meal that, in a way that where God's people can be accepted by God on that last day as we all give an account of our lives. Jesus is our only hope for salvation and for the life to come. Jesus continues to give deep personal meaning to this meal in verses 22 to 24. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And after he took the cup, when he had given thanks to them, he said, they drank it. And they said to them, he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. The language that he's using here, take, this is my body. What is he saying? Jesus is assuring his disciples that he's going to be with them after he goes. After he dies, after he is resurrected and ascends to the heavenlies, he will physically be with them when he is gone. This table that we celebrate also every Sunday, this table, this meal, reminds you of the promise that Christ will be at that table by the Holy Spirit. It's not just some memorial service, this Passover meal for the, uh, for the disciples, where they simply come and remember 
who Jesus was and what he's done. And when we take it, it's more than just a memory, too. We don't come and think about our sins and feel bad and say, well, good thing we have Jesus. Praise be to God that we have Jesus. But no, instead, as Jesus says, this is my body. That promise is for us, too, that he will be with us. His real presence will go with us. And we're reminded of that presence and come into that presence every Sunday as we take the bread together. And as he uses language of blood of the covenant, Jesus is now bringing to view Exodus, where uh, after God saves the Israelites, uh, establishes uh, some laws with them, Moses throws the blood of the sacrifice on the people in this ceremony. Kind of a gruesome thing, but it symbolizes this confirmation that God is your God and you are his people. There's a covenant here established by that blood, and now Christ is saying, my blood is now the blood of the new covenant that seals you in my life. Because when you drink of a cup in those days, you are identifying with that person in all that they do. And so as we drink that cup with Jesus in the same way, we say, I am yours, Jesus, and you are mine. My life is hidden with yours in your death in your resurrection life that you have accomplished for me. Nothing that I have done out of my own power. What a beautiful thing that the Lord has given us. This means of grace, which is a fancy thing Presbyterians like to say, which basically means times when God shows up and meets us. So the means of grace is, and this is one of them. Every Sunday as we come and we take in the bread and drink of the cup, We're not only reminded of God's faithfulness, but we experience that very real presence through the Holy Spirit. And that's something I need to hear and experience every week. When uh, my fiance and I were looking for churches, uh, we loved this church, but one of the biggest things I loved about this church is that we took communion every Sunday. Not that churches need to take it every Sunday, but in a lot of ways... I need it. (laughs) Because when I look around at the world, every day, honestly, I don't know how you feel, but there are times where I can't decide what to mourn about. There's so many things going on in this world and so much information accessible to us that it's so easy to just grow numb, grow jaded at how broken this world is, become apathetic of what will come for tomorrow and Sometimes there's not even room to mourn over the world because I'm mourning over the extent of my own sinfulness and my own need for a Savior. And sometimes, sometimes it's hard even to think that I can get through the day. But as I come to this table, I'm reminded of our beautiful Jesus who is with me physically, present, in his presence through this meal. And as we come and remember the steadfast love of God through Jesus, let's also look at how Jesus concludes in verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom. Not only do we have Jesus here promising his presence, saying, I am with you. He also gives a promise of that last day 
of when he is going to come back and share with us in person, in the flesh, real physical presence of Jesus to share that meal together with us at that great wedding feast described in Revelation 19 when the time when he would return to make all things new. The time where we all, by faith, will pass through judgment just as the Israelites passed through God's judgment in the time of Egypt. And so as we come to this table, we're comforted and strengthened by remembering God's faithfulness and also by experiencing that presence of God through communion, something that we need every day something we so desperately need as we endure in this broken world and look forward to Jesus who is to come. For those of us this morning that might not be a Christian, uh, you might hear this sermon and say, well, I guess the only way I can experience that real presence is through the Lord's Supper. And while it is true, we do encounter through the Holy Spirit the real presence of Jesus At the table, the fact of the matter is, as you call upon Jesus in faith, recognizing your need for a Savior and your own sin, you are brought into a deep fellowship bond with Jesus. And all that is symbolized in our sharing of this cup and of this bread is accomplished as you put your faith in him. This message of grace is for you, just as it is for me. And for all Christians here who need to hear it every day, Christ died so that you and I could stand in God's presence as his children, holy and righteous, no longer facing an angry judge, but a loving father who beckons us and woos us to his feet. And it's my prayer that one day we will have this opportunity to share this meal together, to celebrate Jesus, to be strengthened and eagerly look forward to the day when he will come again, and we will have that meal with him face to face. Amen.